Welcome back, listeners, to another exciting episode of Bills and Beers, the Buffalo Bills preview podcast here from the Bills backers of Chicago, Illinois. The intimate sessions again tonight, not me and Billy, but rather me and Sujit. Really happy to have him back. He was dynamite addition to last week's episode. Sujit, welcome. It is a pleasure to be here, as always, or for the second time. Yes, we're finally glad to have you on board. Uh, scheduling works out now. We finally, I guess your daughter's a little old enough that you can kind of leave her be. So, yeah, I'm glad that you we kind of uh, welcomed you into the fold here as part of the Bills and Beers crew. Yeah, it's, it's good times, you know, baby sleeping. It'll probably all change, but uh, work is a little bit, little bit less crazy, so... Happy to sit here and talk some Bills football. That's great. Well, we had an electric episode last week. We had the the Labatt rep Chris joined us. Uh, he's in Buffalo. I think he's gearing up for the game this weekend against Cincinnati. Billy is MIA. And, of course, Cassie Hutton. Is that, are we saying that right? Hutton? Hutton. Not? Not Hutton. But Hutton. Hutton uh, is on her honeymoon. She was wed last Saturday. Con- congratulations, Cassie. It'll be another couple weeks before we hear from her, but I'm sure she's listening wherever she is. Congratulations, Cassie, and we do miss her. Apparently, at the reception on Saturday, Sujit was the star of the show doing the worm across the dance floor. Sujit, care to comment? Well, I woke up with two bruised ribs, so what I'm guessing is that less than a worm, it was more of a fat man belly flopping across the dance floor. Growing old is awesome, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. It's really painful, actually. Well, thanks so much for joining us. we got to talk about the bone-crushing loss to the Cleveland Browns on Thursday night last week, and we have the Cincinnati Bengals who are coming off a big win in New England. No, excuse me, against New England. It was in Cincinnati uh, at home in Buffalo this weekend. Find us at BillsAndBeers.com. That's our Facebook page. It's the best way to communicate with us. Subscribe on iTunes and tell all your friends. So, Jeep, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk some Buffalo Bills football. Bill Bills. So, Sujit, another primetime game, another Buffalo Bills loss, this time on the road in Cleveland. We lost our first-round draft pick, E.J. Manuel, our starting quarterback. He's going to be out for another month and a half. It was a very frustrating game to watch because I think a lot of people in Bills Nation would agree that if, if he would have stayed in bounds, or excuse me, gotten out of bounds, he would have stayed in that game. And we lost um, as a result. So I guess I gotta ask. We'll start. We'll start on the losing end of side side of things tonight because we did lose. Who was your Genesee Cream Ale bummer of Thursday night's game in Cleveland? So I don't think there's any doubt that the absolute goat of that game was Sean Powell, primarily as evidenced by the fact that he was released from the team about two days later. Uh, which brings me to a happy point, which we'll bring <laughs> up later, that my Mormon jersey is back in effect with the right number. Yeah, that's true. He did get his number back now. Um, so it's funny because it was after, I don't remember what week it was last year that we cut Mormon, but it was right around this time last year that we parted ways with Mormon and replaced him with Powell. Now we just did the old switcheroo this year. Boy, I mean, in a game that you have to bring in your rookie undrafted free agent quarterback to... On a short week. On a short week to preserve or to maintain a lead on the road, you can't give up a special teams touchdown. And that was an ugly, ugly play. Powell obviously now out of a job. Uh, but I, I got to go, Suge. I got to go with Jeff Tool. Yeah. I mean, we were, we were moving the ball at will to start the second half. A lot of people have been very critical of Nathaniel Hackett, but it was clear that whatever their game plan was, 
in the second half, it was working. And it was working gangbusters. And they were able to run the ball like six consecutive times to punch it in the end zone there with Freddie after EJ went out. Uh, but after that, it was just one three and out after another. Not least of which, however, was a flea flicker down the field. Like the very next series of downs. I don't know if they were just throwing caution to the wind and saying, like, let's just hope we get lucky here. But that was a brutal second half of football to watch. Actually, only about a quarter and a half. But it harkened back to Bill's days of yours and the pre-Ryan Fitzpatrick era when watching a team that couldn't move the ball was just absolutely terrible. Yeah, you know, it really comes down to in-game adjustments. And for several years now, even during Chan Gailey's era in Buffalo, I really felt that we were horrible at in-game adjustments. You know, we would come out with a great game plan at the beginning of the first half, and teams it would start to slow down by the end of that first half, and then teams would make adjustments, and we had no answer in the second half. This was a different situation. I feel as this has been a different situation. As much as crap as Nate Hackett gets... You know, between he and Coach Maroney, they seem to be making adjust, uh, adjustments mid-game. So we started off, obviously, with a hot start, slowed down as Cleveland started making some adjustments to the game plan that we had. But how did we come out? We came out in the second half like we were a brand-new team. They had no answers to stopping us. Uh, and, I mean, just when it comes to, to sliding or getting out of bounds, I mean... E.J. Manuel, I know he ran in college. I, I just don't understand how he became such an indecisive runner. You know, the play before that, or maybe two plays before that, me and Bill were yelling at the screen that, God, why can't you run more decisively? Why can't you just go and get a couple more yards to get yep. the first down? I've seen E.J. Manuel slide two sh- yards short of a first down, take on a huge hit when he had no chance of getting a first down, and then he gets the first down and still, like, doesn't really slide. And it's just, you know, his he's going to either have to learn that he's either not going to be a running quarterback or a running quarterback like Randall Cunningham, who isn't going to run every down. He's not a constant threat, but when he gets an open field, it's a problem. Or he's going to have to learn to run more decisively and with, uh, with his mind on his own protection. Absolutely. And... It- the other side of that, too, though, Suge, is that Cleveland players said after the game, they saw that on film. They knew that he wasn't good at going down. He wasn't good at giving up himself. And it happened. And they got a free shot at his knee. It wasn't It wasn't the dirtiest of plays. It wasn't the cleanest of plays. There was no penalty. I wouldn't have expected one to, to be thrown. I would have been a lot less surprised if Kiko Alonso would have gotten flagged yeah. for coming in helmet to helmet on the play that Hoyer went out on. But, you know, we both lost our starting quarterbacks, but unfortunately they swapped theirs for a former first-round pick. We swapped ours for a rookie undrafted free agent. So it was we needed a miracle to win that game. We needed the defense to get us some points. That Browns defense is no joke. We knew it was going to be the case, and it was just a frustrating game to watch. But it wasn't all bad. We did put, some, put up some points. We had a couple big plays. Suge, who was your Labatt Blue MVP of Thursday night's game? God, this is much more difficult than the GOAT of the game uh, or the Jenny Cremale player of the game. Um, Just to be nice, because we don't seem to have a very good quarterback on the roster, I'm going to give it to TJ Graham, because that flea flicker wide receiver pass, I mean, we really ought to consider that was one of the most accurate throws I've seen from a Bills quarterback this year. Um, And uh, Well, lest we forget, though, okay, all joking aside... He was. He he did play pretty well. He got some good tough yards after a couple catches, and 
he he showed up. I, there was there was at one point in the second half where you, me, and Bill looked at each other and said, "Well, how about that? T.J. Yeah. Graham's name getting called again?" Yeah, you know, I, it's it's true. Um, you know, obviously, there's the obvious answers, things like Kiko, in terms of just like constantly playing solid. I think that was one of the problems of the game was that. A lot of players played solid, but people didn't make a difference. You know, there wasn't turnovers for a score. I mean, as much as our defense has been great at getting turnovers, I don't know. I don't think we had any last game. I don't think so either. Um, and the one thing that our defense hasn't been able to do that, you know, here living in Chicago, we see all the time oh. is defense scoring points. Um, anyone that knows anything about the Chicago Bears, you know, yeah, great. They have Jay Cutler, they have Brandon Marshall, but the reason they win games is because their defense not only gets turnovers, but they score points off turnovers or put, you know, puts their offense at the one yard line, that type of thing. Uh, and you know, hopefully, I think that's just a matter of luck. Hopefully, you know, it's where you where you get the pick in in the end zone or the types of picks you get. If you get a pick off a quick slant, you're much more likely to take that to the end zone than if you get a pick on a crossing route right over the middle. Um, so maybe it's that's that, that's something that we can work on. Um, but ultimately, it comes down to you know execution, and it's tough. Jeff Tool had what maybe ten snaps. Uh, during during the the week, I mean, you have a short week. You're going to give all your snaps to EJ, um, and you just hope to God that he doesn't go out. And of course, he does. So, uh, just a little bit of good Bills luck there. Yeah, uh, typical Bills luck. And again, I, it's 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 becoming trite at this point. But I got to give my Labatt Blue MVP to Kiko Alonso. Yeah. If for no other reason, because he's the linebacker the Buffalo Bills fan base has been looking for for about a decade now. Um, jump over the line. Oh God! That we jump have... over the line it was just amazing. and and you know and if he hadn't he just barely he kind of came in at an angle and kind of clipped the guy with his shoulder or the other guy juked at the last minute if he hadn't he would have popped that guy and lit him up and I guess he was running his mouth a little bit after the game telling Cleveland <laughs> that their offense is suspect which I just love he's got he's got everything we want he's aggressive he's got an attitude uh, he can diagnose plays he's got good hands I mean he's everything we've wanted from a middle linebacker. Like I said, for about a decade now, I would even say he's better than London Fletcher. So it goes back, I mean, this goes back to the early 2000s, maybe even to the 90s, that we've had anybody even remotely as good as him. But to kind of go off some of the stuff you were saying, when you give up a pick six and you give up a special teams touchdown and then don't force any turnovers yourself or don't get any points off defense, you're going to lose 99 times out of 100. The Bills just, it was it was a fluky game. I would I would actually say that we were the better team. In that game, I think our defense... Until the, until the end. Yeah, until, and, the end. until Jeff Toole came in. And, yeah, and it was just clear that we weren't going to move the ball. But, man, until EJ went down, I thought for sure, like, there's there's just no way we're going to lose this game. You know, one of the things that frustrates me, um, and that's frustrated me for years about the Bills, is that sometimes we do. You know, we always, this whole year, we've been saying, God, we need to come off with a hot start. We need to come out big and not be trying to crawl our way back for another fourth quarter victory. Uh, this game we did that, um, and it's just a matter of you know people staying focused. I think because I think our defense is a strong enough of a defense that when they are focused, they can shut the other team down. Um, and they obviously were were shutting down Cleveland, but you know we get this huge lead. Maybe people take their foot off the gas a little bit. Um, and well, let, let me touch on that for a second because I think one of the things we're overlooking here, and we haven't actually talked about it on this podcast, and I I crunched some numbers today. And of the 68 players that were on our roster in Week 17 in 2012, 34 of them remain. 
We have 26 new players on this roster this year. We've got rookies in key positions on offense and on defense. And we were playing on the road in a primetime game. For them to win that game against a team who is legitimately going to be competing for their division. The Cleveland Browns are probably the best team. And we'll get into the Cincinnati Bengals here in a second. But they're probably the best team in the AFC North right now. So for them to win that game would have been an anomaly. It would have been a great win for the Buffalo Bills, but we couldn't keep our first-round quarterback healthy. Yeah, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you just said. Uh, the only issue that I have is that, you know, yes, there are rookies all over the place, and there's people in new positions, but the level at which they've been playing is a high, high level. It is and an so anomaly, though. If you're, yeah, it's, it's, not, it's not normal for that to be the case, but it is the case. And they've been playing at that high level for the majority of the season. So it's not just a fluke, you know, oh, one half of a game they played great. So, you know, I think it's reasonable as fans and as their coaches to expect that high level of play consistently. Um, and I think that's consistency is something that we're going to have to work on, both in our defense and in our offense. Now, me and you have talked about the fact that our stats kind of lie, and that our defense, um, if you look at our defensive stats that are independent of the play of the offense, you know, we're smack dab, say, in the middle of the league, and then certain factors like turnovers and things like that, we're up at the higher end. Um, but, you know, when your offense is predicated on a no-huddle offense, which I still like, I still like the quick offense, but if it's not executing, if it's not working out, your defense is on the field a lot, and even if they get off the field after a three and out, Multiple, 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 multiple th- three and outs, and your defense gets tired. So we've had a whole week now to decompress. This Thursday night game is it does throw the schedule way out of whack. Fortunately, I was out of I was out of town over the weekend. I I, I missed Cass's wedding. Very reg- I know, very regrettably so. But as I mentioned last week, I was celebrating my own anniversary. So come on. Uh, so it hasn't seemed that long. Thankfully, I have a feeling these next couple of days are going to crawl by as we get into game time uh, coming up Sunday. But um, yeah, much to talk about. Like I said, a whole week to decompress, so we've got a lot of things on our mind. But now it's time to focus on those Cincinnati Bengals. Bring on the Bengals. You ready for another one? Back at home here at the Ralph this weekend. The big news, of course, starting quarterback Thad Lewis, fresh off the practice squad, a graduate of that powerhouse football factory, Duke University, taking the reins of the Buffalo Bills offense against the Cincinnati Bengals defense, which is uh, pretty good. And by the way, let me add real quick. Is there an NFL team anymore that doesn't have a good defense? I feel like every... Like, Name one. Name maybe like the Chargers. Maybe I mean obviously Jacksonville's got more issues. Maybe the Colts. But like, how how many times are we gonna go into a game going like, well, they got a pretty good defense over there? I feel like that's every team now has a good defense. Well, it just makes you wonder. Maybe the league is changing a little bit. I mean, you know, we're not seeing the fifty point scores that we were seeing unless we're watching the Broncos play. Well, yeah. I mean, so the Broncos are are the exception. Uh, and you know the Broncos' defense is not nearly as good as it used to be. You know no. when they had Tim Tebow, they were predicated on defense. Yeah, and one of the reasons they're giving up or they're scoring fifty-one points a game is because their offense keeps getting the ball back so fast because their defense can't uh, keep guys off the field. That's a good point. I mean, yeah, no, there are, there are a lot of good defenses. I think that you know there's always going to be a natural ebb and flow. You know, the league changed from 
There was a reason why before we became a pass-happy league, we were a run-happy league. It's because before that, we were a pass-happy league. Yeah, exactly. You know, and defenses change. Defenses decide that, okay, well, I'm going to play some more ball hawking. And so then you say, okay, well, if you're going to do that, we're going to start running the ball 50 times, like we did uh, two games ago. Right. Um, And we're going to wear your defense out. So you can have all the ball hawks you want. They're not going to do much when we're just running gut up the middle. And that's how people like Jerome Bettis occur people like brandon jacobs you know who who (laughs) fell off but you know when he was in his prime that's what he was doing he was a bruiser and teams won the super bowl that way well we got this this Bengals team though you and i were looking at the stats before we went live here only 3.6 yards per carry so in a week where we have a practice squad arm we can't really rely on running the ball unless we do so unconventionally and some of the tape on Thad Lewis shows that he's probably better than E.J. Manuel when it comes to running the read option. Yeah, you know, I was watching some of his tape, uh, actually from, from Duke, uh, some of his highlight reels from there. And it's more than just a better runner. Uh, he's a more decisive runner, and he's a more bursty runner, meaning that E.J. Manuel kind of has a James Hardy top speed, where <laughs> he's these long legs, and he gets moving, and... Man, when he gets at top speed, he is flying. It doesn't look like he's running that fast, but he's all the way down the field. As opposed to a TJ Graham type of speed, where he goes from zero to 60 miles an hour in a minute, um, or in in a second, and uh, that would actually be really slow if it was a minute. Um, But, you know, (laughs) so I have to change gears. So... So he, uh, you know, but he he has that burst, and he just when he decides to take off, he goes, and it's like a like a like a a stone out of a shot put. Um, now, look, I, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know where you got that from yeah. either. Um, okay, then let me say this: he's decisive. He will beat you with his feet. He'll sling the ball in there. Are we talking about a guy? He he went to an academically yeah. elite yes, university. Are we talking about the blacker, faster, stronger-armed version of Ryan Fitzpatrick? Oh, I thought you were going to go with Doug Flutie. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with Doug Flutie. No, I was going with the guy who actually suited up for the Bills once in the last 12 years. You know, I, honestly, I, my only thing is that Ryan Fitzpatrick was a good runner. Um, and he was decisive. Unfortunately, most of his balls ended up on the floor. Uh, as at the receiver's feet, but um, I think well, that- we should be braced for some real humdingers this weekend from Thad Lewis. I mean, we're going to see some real bad throws out there. You know, um, so if you think about how much they took the offense back for EJ Manuel, uh, it really makes you wonder. So they've already said we're going to play the play to Thad Lewis's strengths. Um, so. Maybe E.J. Manuel's strengths was running the read option but not actually running it, as, <laughs> as, as, as is evidenced by the fact that he's been injured twice running the football. Um, but maybe Thad Lewis's strengths is actually running it on a read option. Uh, and if anyone watches tapes on the Bills, they're going to ignore the read option. But if you, have, if you have to respect Thad Lewis running the read option, that means that C.J. Spiller is going to have some daylight on the opposite side of the field. And we saw in Cleveland... What happens when that guy gets eight feet in front of him with no defenders in sight? Yeah, you know, I think one of the most interesting things will be who is... So the read option takes away one of your outside linebackers or your defensive end. When we played Carolina, we saw Mario Williams, every play that there was a read option, would take a step forward and just stand and wait for the quarterback, regardless of what was happening with the play. If he 
handed off the ball, the play went inside, E.J. Manny would, or sorry, um, Mario Williams would still wait and watch Cam Newton. So it takes away an outside defender. So what happens if you play action on a read option play, you remove that one defender, and then you have an outside receiver, whether that's C.J. Spiller moving to the outside um, or T.J. Graham on the outside, you remove an outside defender. So uh, I think that's one of the values of the read option is that you can isolate. If people are going to defend it, you can isolate that that outside uh, contain. All right, well, we're getting kind of ahead of ourselves here. Do we have a prayer of moving the ball against these Cincinnati Bengals? Because I want to get to what we can expect from the other side of the ball, particularly with two key players coming off injury. But let's let's just let's just face facts. Can this offense score two touchdowns against the Cincinnati Bengals? I think they can. Um, you know, I think that this Cincinnati Bengals defense has been great. Um, but you know, I'm I'm sorry. I, it's weird for me to say it, but beating New England is not that impressive to me. Totally agree. New England has squeaked by multiple games, including the one that they played us on. Uh, I've not been impressed with New England's play. Um, and their 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 ragtag receivers aren't getting better. Right, exactly. You know, and Tom Brady. It's nice to see Tom Brady frustrated, but uh, <laughs> but oh, but let me just comment on that for a second. So the referees almost gave him that game with a with a ticky tacky roughing the quarterback. You know what the uh, penalty count was on New England? That would be a big fat zero. Zero penalties for zero yards. You want to show me an NFL team that doesn't hold once over the course of an entire game? Does not happen. How does a team walk away with zero yards, zero penalties? I I, di- er, I digress. I actually think that the New England Patriots have not held multiple times uh, when they at least oh. at least when they play the Bills. I, honestly, Seems amazing. I, I but... can't even talk about this. It makes me... <laughs> but I agree that that win over the Patriots uh, with the Patriots on the road, they were bound to lose. They they were not going to win five in a row. They had squeaked by, like you said. Um, New England's defense isn't all that bad, but I, I I share your optimism. I think that I think that we can score two touchdowns. Two, 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 Two touchdowns against them, too. I think if we do, we win. But I think the key to this game... Which defense wins. Yes, yes. Which defense wins and which defense scores points. Because, let's face it, it's not going to be that shocking like it wasn't that shocking last Thursday if we give up a pick six, okay? It's very likely that they can score off a turnover. If we score off a turnover or if we score on special teams with Marquise Goodwin potentially coming back, I think we win this game. But I don't think we win this game, or I think that our chances of winning are significantly less if our defense and special teams don't put points on the board for us. I think that's fair. Um, I think that, I mean, man, you saw Marquise Goodwin in preseason. That was, I mean... Living- he's, he's a... He, literally, this is not exaggerating. He is a world-class sprinter. Right, yeah. I mean, he was on the Olympic team, you know? I mean, he... It was, and, and the thing is, it's not just sprint speed, though. He had the ability to find that crease and move. And I'll be honest, you know, here living in Chicago, the first thing that popped in my head was Devin oh, Hester. God. Now, I'm not going to put him there yet, but I saw that potential. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think special teams has got to do And, I mean, come on. You know Mormon is going to be putting some punts. When I'm wearing that jersey, Mormon is going to be putting that punt I don't. In the first, within the first five yards of the field. But, <laughs> oh, man. but that's... Dude, I was so glad when we cut that guy. He was so bad the last two years he was in Buffalo. I'm really not looking forward to his performance on Sunday. I mean, he may have been a bad punter, but he was my <laughs> bad punter. 
So I think that, you know, but here's the, here's the other idea that I had for our offense. I mean, you know, I think that we need to learn from Buffalo Bills past, the ghost of Buffalo Bills past and Chan Gailey. Uh, you know, the one thing that Chan Gailey did was he got CJ Spiller six yards of carry. And how did he do that? He ran out of the spread. Um, I think that, you know, with a rookie quarterback, everyone's going to think, oh, you're not going to run it, you're not going to run it, but you put it out of five five receiver spread, you have to respect that that run, or you have to respect that throw. Um, and it just opens up the field for so many other possibilities, whether it's a, uh, a slant, whether it's a screen uh, with wide receivers blocking, uh, or whether it's a reverse for that matter. Uh, I think the idea of, of moving to a little bit more of a spread offense as opposed to that I-formation against a, what is a really stout Cleveland front line. Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati front line. Sorry. Every Ohio City is the same. Right, exactly. Uh, I think might be one of the keys of the game, but I definitely agree with you. I think that this is going to come down to which defense can score, which defense can make the other team make a mistake, and whose special teams shows up. Well, we need to talk about the defense then because um, this Bengals team has been underperforming on offense, specifically Andy Dalton. And to a lesser extent, AJ Green. AJ Green is one of the few offensive weapons they have, but they also have uh, they are also pretty good at the tight end position as well. With Eifert, right? They got Tyler Eifert. Is there a rookie tight end? That guy can play. Gilmore might be back. If he's not back, it could be a tough game, and this could be their offense's breakout game that, that their fans are waiting for. I think the key to this game. In, in, in addition to getting points, is we need Gilmore back to match up against A.J. Green. Because lest we forget, Gilmore, as a rookie, wanted, and in the huddle, called out, I want to guard their best receiver against every team we played. He wants to go one-on-one and lock up the best receivers in the game. And maybe with the exception of Calvin Johnson, A.J. Green might be the best wide receiver in the NFL today. But without Gilmore, do we have a chance of shutting those guys down? You know, here's a here's my view of that. So, you know, we've had these breakout performances um, during the course of this year once Gilmore went down. We had Aaron Williams play lights out two games ago. And then he kind of got exposed last game. Uh, and it was for the same reasons that the coaches put him at safety. He can't turn his hips and start running downfield as quickly. He's much better running towards the play than he is following the play. Um, and so he got he got exposed. He didn't play horrible, but he got exposed a little bit last game. The touchdown pass was perfect throw, perfect catch. Uh, it, yeah, you got to give him that. But agreed, there was a, other parts of the game where he wasn't there to make the play. Yeah. Totally agree. He just wasn't. I mean, if you think about the plays that he played incredibly on two games ago, uh, they were reaction plays. He would turn and move towards them. Those are safety moves. And and can I just add, because you and I both agreed on about this last Thursday, he <laughs> he launched himself like a missile on a third down play. Helmet to helmet. Easiest call a referee has to make. But I loved it. Yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. You know, in a game when Fred Jackson, of all people, gets an unsportsmanlike conduct, you know that Aaron Williams is going to get an unsportsmanlike conduct. I forgot about that. What yeah. the hell did Freddie do to get an unsportsmanlike conduct? You know, he I think he when he went out of bounds, he tossed the ball oh, to one of the right. players. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he, no, mean, he tossed it to the... Oh, wait, did he player or yeah, ref? Yeah, it's one of the players on the sideline. He didn't throw it at him, but he kind of tossed it up in a... But it was a nonsense call. I mean, yeah, of all was, the things that you're yeah, going to get... That, yeah, okay. But I think that, um, so my, but the point I was trying to make is that, okay, so do we have a chance without Gilmore? 
Um, I think we do. I think that if we can get Aaron Williams back to safety, where he was playing pretty well. And um, Bird, by the way, might be back too. Yeah, and Bird might be back at safety. So I think our safety is is shored up a little bit. We have him, we have Cersei, and I, well, Cersei has been playing decent. Decent. Um, and then we have maybe Brooks back, you know, just as, as, a, as a slot. And Leotis. And Leotis. Leotis played a great game last week. You know, we had talked about Jordan Cameron. What are we going to do about Jordan Cameron? He had maybe, what, one catch? He, he was a non-issue. He was a non-issue, and that's because he was pretty much matched up with Leotis McKelvin most of the game. Um, what does it say about this defense that Bird is expected to make his triumphant return, and we're just now getting to that point? I, you know, it, it, it really says a lot about, you know, this is a next-man-up league. And uh, I think that we've seen the next man come up, show up, and play well. Um, and it just, you know, it, it, it makes you wonder, was it that wise for Bird to hold out? I mean, uh, granted, there was, there was an injury issue and, and things like that. And anyone that's suffered from severe, as a physician, anyone <laughs> that's suffered from severe plantar fasciitis knows that that is, is no joke. And it is just a really long, slow, painful recovery. Uh, but by the same token, if he was on the field, these other players that are doing so well would not have been – we wouldn't have known. Yeah. And no one would have taken a chance with him. Well, Suj, it seems like you share my foolish optimism right now for Sunday's game. Lord knows, but we'll get into predictions here in the wild card section. Well, it's Bill's favorite portion of the show, but he's not here tonight. But it is the wild card portion. Suj, would you like to? Oh, damn it. It's the wild card. Oh, wow. Wow. So what, what's, what shocks me most about what you just did is that you managed to capture in less than two and a half seconds all of the soul that Bill has tried to achieve. <laughs> In his five years of attempting that. But it is the wild card portion of the episode. Uh, We got off track here between segments, so I don't know if you've given it any thought. But it's October now, and I got married in October for one specific reason. Well, not one, because my wife did too. But uh, October is bar none my favorite month of the year. Love the weather, love the change of foliage, and I love me some Halloween. Unfortunately, I married a woman who doesn't like scary movies, so this year we have to... It's a little bit of a concession, so this year we're doing like Young Frankenstein, Haunted Honeymoon, High Spirits, some like comedic romps set to the horror genre, but that's about as far as it goes. Either way, love me some Halloween. We're going to be doing some pumpkin carving and a bunch of other things, and we got a bunch of weeks between here and Halloween, but I want to get this out of the way right now. Suge. Let's take a brief departure from the current Buffalo Bills roster and talk about... Buffalo Bills of past, the ghosts of Buffalo Bills past, and if you could be any of them for Halloween, which one would you be and why? So the thing about a ghost is that it's someone that was here and left, right? They were on the earth and they left, and then they came well, back to or, haunt you. Or did they? And then they came back to haunt you. I can't imagine someone that has not come back to haunt me more than Brian Mormon just has. <laughs> I got the costume. I got the Mormon jersey. I'm going as Brian Mormon this year. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, I don't. I'm. I'm. I, I'm going to reserve my opinions on Brian Mormon because <laughs> I, I know how enthusiastic you've been. I've gotten like your dozen text messages on the matter in the last couple of days. Well, if we're talking about 
If we're talking about Buffalo Bills of years past, and if we're talking about the truly ghastly, as I mentioned before, I can't necessarily partake in um, the the scarier side of Halloween, much to my dismay. So with this selection, I'm going to bring back one of the most horrifying figures in recent Buffalo Bills history, and that, of course, is Robert Royal. <laughs> Robert, Robert, I stand with my heels at the back of the end zone, even though I'm wide open and miss or catch the ball for a touchdown while I'm out of bounds. Royal, you know, poor Robert Royal. You know, he came he came in after Reimersma. You know, and the sad thing is that we would probably pay a lot of money to have Robert Royal on this team. Yeah, he was he was actually pretty good, except when he wasn't, and when he wasn't, he was abysmal. Yeah, you know, I mean. The, the entire, I remember somebody on one of these message boards had posted how bad the tight end situation has been in Buffalo literally since their inception. And we've just never been a tight end team, and God only knows why, because God knows we've needed them. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Robert Royal, and Robert Royal wasn't a pretty man either, if I recall. No, no, it would be a terrifying costume. Okay, so uh, I we probably should have waited on that wild card, but I'm glad we got out of the way, because, like I said, I'm super jazzed for Halloween. But not nearly as jazzed as I am for this Sunday's game against the Cincinnati Bengals. It's been a long 10 days, or will be a long 10 days by the time Sunday rolls around. Home game, we're coming off a bad loss. we got a practice squad player playing quarterback. They're coming off a big win. They're going to be desperate to get some momentum going. We need to stay on the winning side of the ledger and not get too far behind in our division. Suge, what is your prediction for Sunday's game? I think we have a defensive struggle, 2017 Buffalo, with Mario Williams having a monster game. I, uh, for one of the probably first or second times in Buffalo Bills, excuse me, Bills and Beers history, predicted a loss last week. So today I'm going along the same lines, 17-13 Buffalo. I think we're going to grind this one out. I also think it's going to be ugly, and I think we're going to get a defense or special teams score. I think we must. And I agree with you. I think Mario Williams and his seven and a half sacks through five games. By the way, he's on pace for like 24 sacks this year. We'll see how that pans out. But this has been a fun episode, Suge. Thanks so much for coming by. Uh, again, it's great having you now in the Bills and Beers family. Glad that you, your schedule kind of permits you to join us. The coordinator for the Chicago Bills backers, it's only fitting that you're here on our podcast. Uh, hopefully we get Chris back in the fold next week. Bill, I'm sure, will be with us. And as soon as uh, Cassie is back, uh, all sun ready and ready to go from her honeymoon, we'll get her, her back in here too. Probably by the time EJ Manuel's back, we'll be at, we'll be at full force. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. Again, billsandbeers.com. It'll take you, take you right to our Facebook page. Best way to communicate. Subscribe on iTunes and tell everybody you know. Suge, go Bills. Go Bills! The Bills make me wanna Shout